Good evening, everyone. My name is Tina Lee, and for those who do not know me, I am the campus director of Yonsei and Iwa. Okay? And tonight I will be giving the word. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. But before we do that, let us pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for, um, yeah, for tonight. And Lord, I thank you that the word that is going to go out tonight is going to be one that really uh, shifts paradigms and reveals, Lord, our calling as your children. Um, and first, it's to be your favorite son. But next, God, I pray that we will go out understanding the authority that we carry. And so, Father, I just bless this word um, I bless this time, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to all turn to the book of Esther, mm. <laughs> chapter 4. Okay? And this is a pretty, you know, it's a pretty decently long chapter, but I actually want us to read through the whole chapter together. Uh, so, if you have an ESV... I want you to read after me because I don't want there to be confusion. <laughs> so everyone that has an ESV, I want you to read the even verses and I shall read the odd. Okay? Let's start. When Mordecai learned all that had, had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. Then Esther called for Hattach, one of king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her. And ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was what was and why it was. Uh. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had pr promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come in the king, in to the king these 30 days. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go, gather all the Jews to the 
Mordecai then went away and did everything as, as Esther had ordered him. Amen. Amen. God bless you. All right. So before we go into this chapter, it's chapter four, right? So you guys probably need to know some background of the first three chapters. So I'm going to give you a quick, somewhat quick overview of the first three chapters. Here we see that King Ahasuerus or King Xerxes, who is the ruler of the kingdom of Persia, right? Who is the most powerful and influential man on the earth, divorces his wife, Queen Vashti, because she disobeys one of his orders to display her beauty in front of drunken people at a party. Okay, this is from chapter one. A couple of years later, they say around four years later, according to my commentaries, okay, he holds a huge competition where hundreds of women from all over, from all the provinces compete to become the queen of Persia. So here they basically get a free spa treatment for one year, okay, to become beautiful, more and more beautiful, and to smell amazing. So during this time, they get pampered for this year. Um, and out of these women, Esther was one of them. Okay? And Esther, she is an orphan. She was an orphan. And her cousin Mordecai adopted her. And so she be he became her father figure. And so Mordecai basically, right, raises her. But this orphan, Esther, she finds favor in the king's eyes and eventually becomes queen, okay? And in verse 17 of chapter 2, it tells us how the king loved Esther more than all the women. All the women. Remember, there's like hundreds of women, okay? And she won grace and favor in his sight. That's pretty crazy. So Esther is favored, but one thing that is actually um, very interesting throughout the book while she lives in the palace is that she hides the fact that she is a Jew. She hides the fact that she is a Jew. Why, you may ask. This is because Mordecai, in chapter 2, 19 through 20, he commands Esther to not let anyone know. Okay? And so she obeys him because this is her father figure. Why would she go against his, you know, his command? So she obeys him and... He, you know, for Mordecai, he didn't find the need for her to let people know that she's a Jew because he felt like it would be somewhat of a disadvantage to her. So he said, just hide it. No need to say it. Just, you want favor in the, you know, king's eyes? He likes you. What more to ask, right? So she hid her identity as a Jew. And during also this time, in the following chapters, in verse chapter 2, the king makes a decree ordering everyone to bow down to Haman, one of his right-hand men. So Mordecai, before this, is known as somewhat of a coward. Why? Because he basically, if you think about it, hands off his adoptive daughter to this competition. Okay? He doesn't even, he doesn't even um, you know, fight for her. He's like, all right, you're going to take her. Take her. It's fine. Just take her. It's okay. Okay? But I want you guys to know this. King Xerxes was a bad man. He was a drunkard. He was somewhat mentally ill. If you, we bring him to this time, he was a little bit off. Right? And Mordecai actually worked for King Xerxes. So he knew 
he knew that this was a somewhat weird man, okay? But he just gave her off, just freely. All right, you could, you could take her, right? And not just that, um, he, no one also knew that he was a Jew. Interesting, right? And so he's somewhat of a coward throughout the entire, you know, first three chapters. But what sort of sparks something is the fact that the king makes a decree for everyone to bow down to Haman. And Mordecai was not feeling it. He was like, heck no. Right? So Haman was like, bow down to me. He's like, no. He's like, bow down. No, I am not bowing down to you. And Haman was so, so confused. He's like, why is he not bowing down to me? And some historical background here is that Haman's family and Mordecai's family were enemies. So Mordecai came from the line of Abraham. And Haman's family attacked. Okay? So what we're thinking is maybe Mordecai knows. Because Mordecai knows that he is a Jew. And he knows who Haman is. So he could not. He, that, that rubbed him the wrong way. So Mordecai stubbornly would not bow. He would stubbornly not bow. Okay? This ticked off Haman. He was angry. He was annoyed. Okay? And so as a result, what happens? Haman issues a decree for Mordecai to be killed, but not just Mordecai. He issues a decree for every Jew in that where Morde- you know, in that province, every Jew to be killed. What? Because of one man, Mordecai, who stubbornly refused to bow down to Haman, who was an official, he got a, you know, it's, it's like, it's like mm, the queen telling you to just, you know, give respect to the prime minister, right? What are you going to, like, he had beef because of personal things, but he could have just bowed down. It's not like he's bowing down to some idol, right? But Mordecai could not bow down. And because of his stubbornness, 15 million people were put on the line. And what does the king say? Go for it. That's confusing. Okay? In John 10.10, it says that thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan desires to destroy God's people. Okay? And so in the book of Esther, he did this literally by using Mordecai's stubbornness to make Haman angry. And as a result, destroyed the people. Satan is cheap. He's cheap. He will find any way to destroy his people. Any way. Okay? And this brings me to our passage. In verse 1 through through 3, basically from here we already read it, but Mordecai learned all, all that he had done. Okay? And then he finds out that because of him, his people are about to get killed. And so as a result, he goes out into the city and does a public protest. So before this, we find out Mordecai's somewhat of a coward, right? He keeps silent. But now he's like, my people are dying. Like he creates this crazy protest out in front of the, in front of the palace in sackcloth, in ashes. He's like, my people are dying, like groaning. And he's making a public protest saying, this cannot happen. 
Okay? So Mordecai is taking action. He's making a crazy scene. All the while, Esther has no clue what is happening outside of the palace. She has no idea. Right? So she heard about her cousin from her, you know, her servants. And she's so concerned. She's so concerned. So what she does is she sends out garments to Mordecai because she doesn't want him to be, you know, seen like that in shame. And so she's like, wear some clothes. But Mordecai says, no, I need people to know what is happening to my people. This is quite ironic because, like I said, Mordecai, in the beginning, chose to hide his faith. But now he's choosing to take action. And he's like, no, don't clothe me. I'm going to yell and scream and find, make everybody know that Haman is killing the people. There's injustice. There is injustice. There is injustice. So he's protesting, right? And Esther sends out garments and he says no. So in verses 5 through 9, let me read. No, we already read it. But in verses 5 through 9, we basically see that Mordecai is telling Hathach, who is one of the king's eunuchs that was um, that had that was ordered to serve under Esther. Okay, he's telling um, Hatash exactly what was happening. Okay, and then he tells him to tell Esther to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of other people. So this brings me to my very first point. After I drink my water. Number one, Esther recognizes her authority, but first she identifies her fears. There's a difference in the word. She identifies her fears. She doesn't identify with her fears, but she identifies her fears. So in verses 10 through 11, she, now we can sort of see that this Esther is recognizing her authority. Okay, she finds out basically... Um, she finds out that the people are getting killed, right? And then when Mordecai asks, actually, in the beginning, she says, no. And in verses 10 through 11, it's, it, it says this. Then Esther spoke to Hatach, and I am butchering his name, and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come in to the king these 30 days. What's important is we may immediately assume that Esther was responding in fear. But if you see this, there's a word right here in verse 10. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him. This is the first time we see Esther commanding someone. Commanding someone, taking her place, seeing her authority. However, she identifies the fears that she has. The fear is that she can die. That's a pretty legit fear, right? You're going to die, right? That's a fear. And so I'm not blaming her. I, I would probably think the same, right? But here is when faith comes to play. But before this, I was sort of explaining how Esther finally took her place. 
However, let's sort of see what Esther was like before. Because a lot of us, we know Esther as this mighty warrior, right? The one that like saved the Jewish people. But actually, we can relate to her more than you think. Before this crisis that she was faced with, Esther did not know who she was. And she did not know the kind of authority that she carried. She was queen. Was she not? Response. She was queen. Yes. <laughs> she didn't see herself as anyone who had power. She didn't think that she had a voice. She basically lived in this palace, right, as queen. She won the king's favor, so she did everything. She had everything. She had all the servants that she wanted. She had all, you know, the makeup that she wanted. She had all the clothes that she wanted. She had everything that she wanted. She could travel around the world, right? She could get anything, right? But she didn't understand that the reason why is because she was queen. And she had the king's favor. And so maybe I was trying to justify it. Maybe, she, maybe she's like a humble woman that was just giving thanks for being able to even live in the palace. So she thought that she couldn't say anything. She thought that she, couldn't, she didn't have a voice anymore because she should just be thankful. She should just be thankful for the very fact that she's queen. Right? But let's be real. <laughs> she wasn't playing no obedient right wife. She was just comfortable. So another fear that she had was comfort. She's going to lose her comfort. She could become very uncomfortable. And so like I said, I feel like many of us can relate to Esther. Through Christ, we are adopted as sons. We are adopted into the kingdom of God as core heirs with Christ. We were also once orphans. But now we are considered royalty. Right? So it says in 1 Peter 2 through 9, uh, 2 9, but you are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Like Esther, you as well are royalty. Follow me. I am royalty. Do you believe it? I hope you do. Yet many times we don't act like it in our daily lives, right? We choose to stay silent like Esther. We choose to hide our faith because once our faith is exposed, it can be somewhat of a disadvantage to us. You don't believe that you have any influence, though the king has called you sons. Father God has called you sons. So in, instead, we choose to just play it safe. We choose to just live life and go with the flow. Not just that, there may be some fears. There may be some fears that some areas of your life may be killed once you choose to step out in faith. What I mean by this is maybe some friendships may be killed because those friends you weren't meant to be friends with them anyways. What I'm saying is this. Yes, we are called to, you know, love everyone, but certain people in your life, you know, have much more influence over you than you have over them. 
So in that season, it may be where those friendships need to be killed. That's a strong word, okay? But you, you guys get it, right? Maybe some comforts will be killed. Esther stayed silent. Esther did not let the king know that she was a Jew. Because of Mordecai, okay, so we could give her some kind of sympathy, right? But we could justify her lack of action because of her father figure, Mordecai, like I said. But if you think about it, she's been living in this house for five whole years. For five years, according to my commentaries, it said around five years, okay? They said she lived around five years in this palace. That's a pretty long time, don't you think? Okay, she's been living as the queen for five years in the most powerful man's house ever. She was living in this house for five years. Yet how come nothing changed? That's confusing. Right? Maybe she could have softened the heart of the crazy king. Right? To help him at least rule with some decency. <laughs> Because he was a crazy king. But nope. He allowed Haman to kill 15, 000, 15 million people. He allowed it. And I'm not saying that Esther allowed this. But if I think, like, thinking about it, five years, Esther had, she was the queen that had the favor of the king. I'm sure she could have said something. The king loved her. Over hundreds of women, he chose her, and yet five years and nothing. And it results to him saying, all right, why? Haman said, I'll give you money. It was out of Haman's selfish motives. Out of his own anger, he was, Haman was exploding in anger because of one person and Xerxes did not have the wisdom to say no. He fell right through at the, with greed. So what I'm saying is maybe it's safe to think that Esther was somewhat of a lukewarm Christian. Would that be safe to say? Maybe she wasn't really pursuing the Lord. Though she knew she was a Jew, she knew she was a Jew. But... Her people, they lived in Persia, and they, um, they didn't really she didn't really receive the teachings. Obviously, Mordecai wasn't the best adopted father ever. Like, he was great, but at the same time, like, he chose. So he was like, all right, you could take her. Take her for his own, you know, gain for, for a brief moment before he realized he almost killed 15 million people. Right? But I'm thinking, Esther could have done something. She could have. She could have said something or do, you know, woo her husband and then that he would only see her and not care about. I don't know. What I'm saying is she could have done something, okay? But she didn't. And like Esther, we as well know that as Christians, we can live this mundane life. Five years, she lived a very mundane life. She got everything that she wanted. She lived very comfortably. For us, we could fall into that tra trap of living a mundane life. Just living in a circle. You live 
and not make any change whatsoever. You wake up, you go to class. You go to the bathroom, maybe a couple times a day. You eat lunch, you eat dinner, you hang out with some friends here and there, maybe you choose to watch a movie. You do your homework, and then you go to sleep, and then your day starts again. Go in a circle. This sounds familiar. Don't tell me that this doesn't sound familiar. Because I, as well, can fall into this trap. I, as well, can fall into the trap of living the mundane life of sitting on my couch and just watching TV. Sometimes you need that. (laughs) Not to justify myself, but sometimes you need that. Okay. Like Esther, you fail to recognize what's happening outside of the palace, your comfort zone. You fail to see the broken people around you. There may be a classmate suffering from depression, yet you have no clue. Your roommate, who sleeps right across from you, may be suffering with some kind of illness. I know this is mad intense, but I'm saying this this can be real. Yet you have no clue because of your own comforts. I'm not trying to make you feel all bad. I'm not trying to make you feel like, oh my gosh, we're we're terrible people. What I'm saying is, open your eyes to see what's actually happening outside of your comfort zone. Because there are some people that are actually very uncomfortable. Maybe even in your family, let's bring it home. In your family. Right? I know that's a really intense topic, but... Life continues, and there are many things that happen around us. For me, bringing it home, I can fall into the trap of living a mundane life, okay? Living a mundane life. But here I am seeing my aunt suffering with dementia. Do you guys know what dementia is? Okay, it's basically you losing memory and you become a child. You cannot think anymore. If I were to be like, she's my aunt. And for me to be okay with that, be like, all right, my life is comfortable, whatever. That's, nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. God is asking, what are you going to do about it? For me, with my aunt, what am I going to do about it? Obviously, I can't. I can't heal her personally. And even the doctors, they can't really do much. Okay? But the thing is, what I can do about it is pray. Understanding my prayers matter to the Lord. Another example. Your teacher might be crazy. Okay? Your teacher might genuinely be crazy. Like King Xerxes. He was crazy. Literally. Okay, so you could just go to work and think, oh my gosh, my, my, my boss is crazy. He's crazy, he's crazy, whatever. And just live life, okay? Or you could do something about it. I, as well, had a very crazy boss when I was interning here. At, when I was a college student, I interned in the summer. And I interned for a PR company, and my boss was seriously crazy. She was crazy. She would yell from this room to this room. When I first had the interview, she knew I couldn't speak Korean that well. She knew I couldn't write it that well. Okay? She knew. But once I started working, that all, she did not know. And then every time she looked at me, she's like, 
yeah, no way that. And she'll just yell at me from the room, be like, Tina! And I'll be like, oh, yeah. And run to her. And she'll just yell at me. And I'm like, what did I do now? Right? My boss was crazy. She was crazy. I didn't do anything. I was honest. I can't write Korean. Okay? Get it? Go. But thing is, I can fall into the trap of being like, this woman's crazy. And not care about her. And not care about her, right? But then what I realized was, okay, no. She, the way that she treats me does not determine my worth. And the way that she yelled at me across the room really messed with my pride. Like, really messed with it. Okay? Because I'm someone that I feel like I'm pretty smart. And I can get my work done pretty well. Right? With some decency. But she was basically questioning every single one of them. Calling me dumb. So, instead of being like, this woman's crazy. What I realized was, no, 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 no. I have the ball in my court. And so, every time I talked to her. The thing is, she was crazy at work because work was stressful. But outside of it, she was a wonderful lady. So she really liked me outside of work. And so when we would talk, like, she would be like, what are you doing? And back then, I was a part-time staff for Emmaus. And so I would say, I have to go to Yonsei every week um, to serve at large group. And so then she looked at me. She's like, what is that? She's a Christian. And then what I found out was she also was, she also was a Christian, but super backslidden. Okay, and so basically I was able to really speak some life into her and every day she was amazed by the joy I walked in. She was amazed that I would always come to her when she yells at me. I would still come to her smiling and be like, (laughs) right. And so because they she saw that she's like, there's something different, but not just that. The workers, the other Korean co-workers recognize, oh my gosh, Tina goes to church. She's happy. We're stressed, but she's happy. And she has the same amount of work. I chose to walk in my authority. And this is what I'm I'm saying. This is for you guys. Okay. Another example, me walking around campus, I can fight the temptation of just being like, I'm a student too. (laughs) I'm a student too. Do you know why? Because there's so many, there's so much room for my pride again to be killed. There's so much room for me to be rejected. Once students find out that I am a staff, immediately they're like, oh my, they give me the eyes of, you're old, you're not a student, right? And not just that, you're a college minister from a Christian campus ministry. I don't want to talk to you. I get that all the time. You guys don't, don't know, right? But there are times when I'm walking around campus, there's students that I've met at orientation. I'm confident that I met them at orientation. Yet they look at me and they act like I, I don't exist. <laughs> Am I blind? Heck no. I have a great peripheral view, vision. Okay? So what I do is I just go to, hey, what's up? Because I remember their names. I remember your names, okay? I'll say, hey, what's up? My pride, my, my pride was killed to the floor because if it was my pride i would act like she didn't exist either i'm like you don't exist if it was my you know my pride (laughs) but i was like no 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 no. the thing is god has something for her too or him god loves this person too that means i have no right to reject them just because they rejected me right
let's see the big, bigger picture, you guys. Let's see the bigger picture. And I gave some few examples of things that could happen in your own classrooms. Okay, in your own classrooms with your classmates, with your roommates. But even the bigger picture here, you're in here in Korea. Why, you may ask. Why are you here in Korea? Just to get, you know, somewhat culturally aware and whatnot. No, 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 no. Thing is, you guys are here in Korea and stuff that's happening around you are real. For example, suicide rates in Korea have been slightly decreasing. However, it's still pretty high. Okay? Sex trafficking, it's right around the corner. It's happening in this nation. North Korea, the nation to the north, your sister country, right? There are people starving there. Some people are also getting persecuted because they're Christians. See the bigger picture. See outside of your own palace. God is calling us to take action and to fight for justice. Mordecai, he finally realized, I need to fight for justice. This is injustice happening to my people. Esther, she finally realized, oh my gosh, this is injustice. There was no reason why these Jews had to be killed in a mass genocide because of one man. This is injustice. But can I tell you this? Satan, he's the father of lies. Satan, he's like, injustice is Satan. Okay? And he'll find cheap ways to kill. Literally, but also in the spiritual We need to get active in our faith, okay? And I know that there's temptations to feel that once we start stepping out, right, you will lose everything. You will lose everything. There's that fear. But let's be aware of the crisis that's around us. That fear is nothing because actually you won't lose anything. You won't lose anything. Here in this school, why are you here in Yonsei? Here in this school, there's this school, Yonsei is a Christian school. Did you, did you guys know that? Yeah? Yet 3% claim that they're Christians out of 100%. Okay? 3%, right? That's crazy. This school was built on prayer. This school was built by missionaries. Yet, 3% claim that they're Christians. That is a pitiful number. That should bother you. You guys are one of the 3%, but that should bother you. You guys are not just here to simply get a wonderful education. Being a Christian is not a label. Being a Christian is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. And people should know that you are different. So in uh, verse 12 to 14, it says this. Um, basically, here Mordecai is telling Esther, you know what? You're going to die anyways. If you So he pleads and asks Esther to take her place. Right? He's like, you're going to die anyways. She, if he finds out that you're a Jew too, you're going to die. Right? And at this very moment, Esther's faith is being tested once again, okay? So for you, it may not be something that's extreme like Esther, 
okay? But recognize that it's so much bigger than you. And here, Esther, Mordecai was saying, you're going to die anyways, right? You're going to die anyways. And in verse 14, but he says, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. For such a time as this. For such a time as this. You. Who knows whether you have come to this nation for such a time as this. Who knows if you were placed in this school for such a time as this. Who knows if you were placed in this, in the life of your roommate for such a time as this. Who knows if you were placed in this ministry for such a time as this. Now, what does Esther do? Let's see, okay? This brings me to my second point. Esther, she takes action. Okay, Esther takes action. Esther finally responds in faith. Okay, she responds in faith. So she identifies the fears that she may have, but those fears sort of propelled her to walk in faith. Okay, so she began to activate her faith. She knew exactly what she was doing is dangerous. She could die. She is in a very bad situation. But she also recognized the authority that she carries as the queen. And she steps out in faith. So here in verse 15, one thing that Esther does is she holds a prayer meeting. She calls all the Jews to fast. Okay? (laughs) She calls them to fast and pray. And one thing about prayer is prayer is an act of your faith. So she gathers all of the Jews and holds this fast because she knows that she can't do this on her own. She knows that she needs prayer to back her up. So as all the Jews, as Esther and all the Jews and Mordecai, they pray, their hearts are getting prepared. And not just that, they're letting God take action. So what's really interesting about the book of Esther is that the name of God is not mentioned once. God is not mentioned uh oh, how is he in the Bible? I'm not how is he in the Bible? How is Esther? The book of Esther is how is how is she in the Bible? But what's really cool is that throughout the entire book you're able to see God's hand over everything. And so what we're what we're I was just reading some different articles and they were saying how basically the writer, the way that he wrote it was very intentional in letting us see God through it all without his name being known. And this is also really cool with our own lifestyle. A lot of times we don't see God being injected into every single thing. But later when you see what happened, you're able to see that God's hand was over your life. So the book of Esther is just like that. Okay. Um, So here, it doesn't matter what kind of situation you guys are placed in, big or small. It may be simply, not simply, but it may be your roommate, right? that you find out has a sickness. But maybe it's like a severe sickness. Okay, so you know that you can't do everything on your own. So a simple way is by having people partner up with you to pray for your roommate. Okay, and to pray the healing 
over your roommate. God is Jehovah Rapha. He is the healer, right? So he's actually the one that's going to do it. But for us is to activate our faith and believe that God's going to do it. Another example for us, because Emmaus is a ministry under New Philadelphia Church, right? For us, we have this meet, joint prayer meeting called, uh, not joint prayer. <laughs> we have this prayer meeting called JPM, joint prayer meeting. And <laughs> we pray for the revival of North Korea. This is a bigger topic, so we can't just go marching into that nation and being like, Jesus is alive and believe in Jesus. We can't do that because there's so much going on in North Korea. So what do we do to activate the faith of God's people, of the saints, is to pray, believing that God will be the one that releases that revival. Okay? So what I'm saying is this. Faith action first thing esther does is she prays she prays that's an activation of your faith and many times after the sermon you might feel all zealous and be like i'm gonna go to my roommate and be like you need jesus i'm gonna pray for you you know like or just be like jesus is alive like everywhere you go and like run around and be like jesus is alive jesus is alive i don't want you guys to do that because that is not wisdom i don't know if that's obvious but that is not wisdom what i'm saying is this as a christian you need to What is it? Not just pray, but as a Christian, (laughs) it's not just, it's living a lifestyle as a Christian. So people should know that you are a follower of Christ. Esther finally got it. She finally got it. Okay. And so now everyone knows that she is a follower of Christ. Everyone knows that. So they took three days to pray. They took three days to pray and fast. And what's really cool is she says something pretty epic. Okay. In verse, where is it? 16, the latter half, she says, then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther gets pretty brave. Okay. And she basically says, if I die, I die. I die. It's fine. Okay, so Esther recognizes that it's not her doing it, but it's the Lord. And so she steps out in faith, trusting in the Lord. We see this later on because God does his work. Okay. She finally recognizes that her life is so much bigger than hers. Esther was this young orphan girl that got favor and lived in this king, in this palace. For five years, she lived in this palace, oblivious to what was happening around the world. Nonetheless, her people, she had no clue, right? But now she finally recognizes that her life is bigger than hers. She isn't afraid to let people know that she is a Jew, or for you guys, she is a Christian, right? Here in this place, Esther finally meets the Lord. And she began to make change. She began to make decisions. She began to walk in wisdom. And as a result of her faith, she was able to save her people, the people of God. God has placed you here at such a time as this. Amen? God knows what he's doing, you guys. 
He made you. He knows what he is doing. So you guys sitting in this very room is not of coincidence. And some of you guys have might, might have felt it already. It's not of coincidence. It really isn't. The people that you have met, not of coincidence. Not a coincidence. He has placed you here to live a much bigger life than yourself. To live outside of your own palace. To live outside of your own comfort zone. In Philippians 1.21, it says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Your life comes through Christ. The very first message, right, was about how you are a favored son. Before Jesus started his ministry, God said he was pleased. Okay? And you, as well, before you do anything, when you have Christ living in you, God is pleased. God is pleased. And as Christians... As believers, we're called to live a life that's so much bigger than us. It can get somewhat uncomfortable. It's not always going to be like flowers and petals and unicorns, <laughs> right? But to follow Christ is the way to life. As you step out in faith, and live a, a life that follows the footsteps of Christ. Like some examples I gave, your pride may die. Your current reputation may die. Your dreams, though it can be selfish, may die. Your current comforts may die. But in Christ, you have life. And what, you know... When during the worship time, we were saying how there's hope in Christ. Even the dreams that you have, Christ gave, like God gave it to you. So he may make all your selfish desires die, but he's the one that makes your dreams even bigger and even greater. So there's a deception that the enemy has is saying, everything that you do, once you die to Christ, you're dead. You don't exist. You're nothing. You're nothing. And you might have received that many times, I don't know, somewhere. But the thing is, when you die, Christ, when we, Christ is to live and to die is gain. That means that we have a life that's everlasting. But here on this earth too, you're called to live so much greater than you think. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? So through Esther, we're able to see a glimpse of what Christ did for us on the cross. However, unlike Esther, Christ died for us in order to save us. But Christ, like I said, did not die. He did not die. He rose again from the dead. That means that we also in him can't die. In him can't die. We are made alive in him. Esther lived somewhat of a mundane, lukewarm Christian life, which pretty much amounted to nothing. Let's be honest. Until a crisis hit and she recognized, oh my goodness, I am called, like I have authority. God 
gave me favor until she recognized her relationship with the Lord. And that's when she was able to do so much more. But the five years during that time, did she do anything? Heck no. No, 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 no. For us, for you, you're also called to live this crazy, exciting life. Exciting, exciting life. Okay? Do you believe it? Yeah? Yes or no? (laughs) All right. You're called to live a life that's so much bigger than you. But the thing is, our faith cannot stay stagnant. Esther made progress in her faith. Did you see that progress? Esther started off as somewhat of a lukewarm Christian, and she got on fire. Did you see that? And what happened? 15 million Jews were saved. All right? What I'm saying is this. For you, it may start at one place, but you are making progress. You are making progress as God is continuing to mature you, as he's continuing to build your character, as you're continuing to walk out in faith. You're making progress. So if you look at your life now, even now compared to the beginning of the semester, look back. Can you see God's hand over your life? God's hand is all over your life. But now it's time for us to take action. It's time for us to take action. Because the thing is, what you have is also for your roommate, your classmates, your friends. And the life that you're living, that's walking in freedom, is for your friend as well. So you're worth more than you think. All right? So it's time. It is time to take action. Two, three more semesters left. Look around you. Look around you right now. Personally, I don't want to just see your faces in this room. I love you guys. I really do. I really, really love you guys. I think all y'all are beautiful and handsome and great and wonderful. However, I I don't want to just see your faces. I want to see more. Because they're called to walk in the freedom that you're walking in. Let's pray.